Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Super excited to have Jonathan Stokey, affectionately named Stokey, so that's what we're going to call you from here on out. Stokey, welcome to Build with Clay, and we're building with Stokey today. It is It is the, I was going to say it was the honor of my young life, but I think that actually goes to me being your first Instagram follower, which <laughs> happened in the last week. So this is, this is neck and neck, but I think the first follower might get it for me. Man, that's, uh, that, that was uh, quite the race between you and another friend of ours. So um, you beat him out. And, uh, and speaking of Instagram, you're a budding Instagram star over there. How many followers do you have now? I'm up to 27,000. Man, man. Well, I want to get into that at some point because you've yep. you've taken that from zero to twenty seven thousand in a very quick manner, and I'm sure there's some people out there that are curious how you did it and uh, and why you're doing it. So, really pumped for you, man. Um, so, for those out there that don't know Stokey, um, I've had the pleasure of knowing Stokey for the last decade, and just a very kind, awesome, hilarious human being, um, great athlete, and uh, just really excited to have him here on the pod today. And so, Stokey, I, I could do my best to introduce you, but I want to hear how you introduce yourself. So go for it. God, you did not tell me I would have to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, if I introduce myself, you know, obviously from your area, from Chapel Hill, um, you know, grew up a Tar Heel. So I guess that's the side of me you like, but obviously got wise, went to Duke uh, for tennis and obviously the academic side. Um, but really like who I am, I'm a curious mind. I'm into sports. I obviously coach tennis. I played tennis. So I've been in that, that arena my entire life. And that's kind of what motivates me and keeps me interested. But, um, you know, I'm just a happy, grateful person. I've been blessed. I got a beautiful wife, the cutest Frenchie in the world, Lulu dot the Frenchie on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I'm just, a you know, a blessed person. I've got great friends like you. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm just like we talked about when we had dinner a couple of weeks ago. I feel like I'm just on a constant vacation. I got no complaints. <laughs> life is good. Um, yeah. You are me. the only person in my life at around our age that is constantly on vacation. And I am just <laughs> consistently envious. And when I made that realization that you were always on vacation, it just um, it, uh, it dawned on me how good you had it, man. And um, so I think we're going to get into a lot of that today. You know, I want to hear more about your tennis background and, and have you share, you know, a lot of, a lot about that. Cause I mean, that's your passion, um, is, is coaching and helping others. And you've got a really interesting background there, but you have a very strategic mind. And so I'm going to throw a question out that you do not know I'm throwing out at you. And it's kind of Love a get it. to know you question, Love but it. I want to hear you out loud. Think this through. So, okay. So, so while I'm thinking, you want me to just keep verbal vomit here. You just want me to say everything I'm thinking. Exactly. So got it. You have to choose between two things. Okay. You either have to have 
10 foot long arms or 10 foot long legs for the rest of your life? What are you choosing? Okay, so I'm already thinking like, how would it be to walk with 10, 10? My first judgment was like, oh, arms for sure. Um, if I got 10, 10 foot long legs, I'm way above everyone else. So that's awkward, right? I want to be at your eye level. So I'm going to have to do a lot of work there. 10 foot long arms, I can like fold them. I can do lots of weird things. And then I could probably do lots of cool things. Like, hey, guess what? I'm probably, well, I guess I could be an NBA star with 10 foot long legs too. But it'd look, I don't know. I feel like the arms, I would just wrap them around myself and then just un, unwind them when it was very beneficial to me. But 10 foot long legs, oh, interesting though. I mean, you could just kind of like, do they work like real legs? Yeah, everything operates the same like way. I got a knee. I got a knee. It's just 10, 10 foot long, and but I got a knee joints. All that stuff's the same. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think I'd go. Uh, I don't know. Man, I I'd put go, you in a mental pretzel, and I kind of love did. it. did. This is, this, is, this is why I'm here. Well, we could talk about this for an hour. I mean, I actually find this, I'm, I'm totally lost in thought right now. I would definitely, I still would go, although you'd be really top heavy, huh? That'd be weird to walk around dragging those arms. You know what? Hey, it, you're a lot, when you get new information, you work it through. I actually think I would go 10 foot legs now. Wow. I did not think I would see that coming. I yeah. thought you would, I thought as a tennis player, man who likes to play at the net, that you'd, that you'd go with the long arms practicality right walking through doorways you don't have to worry about it your arms are dragging but hey you bring up a lot of good points it's uh yeah. i don't think there's a right or wrong answer and i don't think i'm not sure but i don't think you'll face this in the real world but always good to to hear the the great thinker think through this yeah. so i appreciate you doing that out loud so final yeah. answer final answer is the long legs no, the second you said you were surprised, I instantly doubted myself and realized my first <laughs> instinct was correct, and I'm allowed to change my mind a second time. So actually, I would go with the arms. Because also, I, I was just thinking, I don't know how I would play golf with the 10-foot-long legs and then my itty-bitty arms and what that club would look like. It's a good and point. I, as I'm saying that, I realize there's still issues with the long arms, but I'm going with arms. All right, final, final answer. answer. Final it's answer. locked in. Move on. Yep. It's answer. locked in. I love it. I love it, man. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, um nice to get into your brain a little bit and i appreciate you working that through out loud a lot of fun um so wanted to you mentioned tennis a couple of times you unfortunately mentioned duke but so as a tar heel that's a that's a tough one for me but i knew that going in we've our friendship has survived past past that knowledge point so could you walk everyone through i obviously know your tennis background but could you walk everyone through your tennis background and and, and where you are what you're doing today so yeah, from the beginning, uh, my dad, we grew up in Southern California, actually. And he, when I was eight, just looked in a newspaper because that's what you did in 1993. And it was best places to live and Chapel Hill was on the list. And so we just moved there when I was eight or so. I grew up playing baseball because my dad played baseball. He was a national championship at USC, Southern California. And uh, actually, side note, he, he, I don't know if he'll listen to this or not. But he won MVP in a summer league over Ozzie Smith. I don't think I've wow. ever seen that. So Man, that's like, awesome. Yeah, he's like a real baller. So I played baseball. And when we moved to Chapel Hill, when I was like 9 or 10, uh, I was at a country club actually on the swim team. And I saw the tennis courts nearby. And I just went out there. And I was gripping the racket like a baseball bat. So I actually had two backhands. And I was like, man, this is fun. Like, what do you do when you play tennis? And someone said, oh, you enter a tournament. So I entered like two weeks later and my technique was 
horrific, but I could run down balls. I kind of knew, hey, I just need to make a few balls. And I did pretty well. And then I was hooked. So that was, yeah, about age 10. And by the time I was 12 or 13, you kind of realized tennis is a sport that you can't play seasonally. You know, if you took four months off to go play the cross, you come back, you haven't improved. You've gotten worse for sure. Um, so I kind of gave up every other sport around 12 or 13, I think. Um, made, my, made my way through the state, uh, the southern section, which is kind of like the nine southeastern states. Started playing the big national tournaments um, and just kind of kept working my way up the ladder until I eventually got to play for Duke, which at the time, you know, we were a top five to 10 program in the country, you know, winning the ACC, but in the mix to win national championships. Um, and then while I was there, I definitely realized, hey, you know what, like when I'm done playing, I want to coach. I want to, you know, help people avoid all those mistakes I made, um, you know, do things smarter, help people reach their goals. And so, you know, I've always been in tennis and, and I knew pretty early on as probably sophomore year in college where I said, you know what, I want to, this is really all I want to do when I'm done, done playing. Man, that's fascinating. I love the tidbit about your dad. And uh, I had no idea. I've known you for 10 years and had no idea. So <laughs> hidden hidden gems across the friendship. I love it. And thank you for sharing. So that's interesting. So sophomore year, you realize, hey, I want to be a coach, which spoiler alert, that's what you became. Mm-hmm. So at, was there a specific coach that really turned you on? Or was it more about that you wanted to do more for, for others? Like t- walk us through that. Yeah, so... I guess I would say, th- th- can you be a friend even on a podcast and tell me if this comes off as arrogant? Absolutely. But, okay. But what, what my thinking was, I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a pretty good athlete. I've done well, especially in doubles. And, you know, what the guy I played with in juniors, Rajiv Ram, he just won US Open this year at age 37, which is incredible. I mean, the guy's a total inspiration. But, you know, my peers are all doing well in doubles. And I thought to myself, number one, the travel's not for me. but Hey, you know what? If I went out there and I was really invested, I had no doubt that I could do well playing professional doubles. And that didn't, in a weird way, that didn't interest me. I was like, but what if I can help someone else put what I know into their brain or let them see it a different way or maybe nudge them in a different direction where I can get someone who I didn't think maybe could play at that level? or someone who I didn't think could play division one and then help them get to that level. Like that was a much more interesting puzzle and challenge for me than simply, Hey, you know what? I'm six two. And if I can go out and serve 130 miles an hour, then I will be successful as opposed to, can I get this other person who's currently struggling with that technique or that strategy or learning how to relax? If I can help someone else do it, that seems like a much bigger challenge. And then it's much more rewarding because they're achieving their goal. Man, so, that, uh, well, first, Arrogant Stokey is one of my favorite versions of Stokey. So <laughs> we're going to need more of that through this conversation. Right. But the, I love, I mean, it, it, it fits you so well talking about how you wanted to see growth and help others, right? And, and, and figure that, hey, I can go do something for myself, but it seems like you're going to get more joy and you're going to have more of a passion towards helping someone else or a group of people, um, you know, accomplish their goals. So that's, that's really, really cool. And you haven't mentioned it yet, but you played in the U S open. So you got to tell us about that. Yeah. So I played in it twice, which was very cool. So when I was, if you win, there's a, 
you know, two big national tournaments in the summer. One's on clay, one's on hard. The hard court's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's been there for, I have no Fun idea. fact, that's where Derek Jeter was born. Yes, home of Derek Jeter. So it's been there like 70, 80 years. Every great American player has played it. And a big reason why that's true is because if you win it, you get a wild card in the U.S. Open. So, uh, you know, I was a good doubles player. I used to get like the semis and quarters of these nationals. And then a variety of uh, circumstances came up and Rajiv didn't have a partner when he was, we were starting our first year in the six teams division. And so he said, hey, do you want to play? And at the time he was number one in the country. So yeah, of course, I'm going to play with you. We did well in our first national. He's like, let's just keep playing. We won the clay courts. We went to Kalamazoo that year. We won Kalamazoo. And that was a 16. So you don't get the wild card yet. But we're like, all right, we're a team, we're established, we're playing, whenever we're in the same tournament, we're playing together. And so when we got to the 18s, that's when you get the wild card in the open, and we rolled through there. I don't think, yeah, in the 18s, we didn't lose a set, so we won it back-to-back years. So I got to play in the open when I was 17, 17 and 18, and I think that was 2001 and 2002, which is already 20 years ago, which is terrifying. Um, But yeah, it was amazing. I mean... In a weird way. So it was an amazing experience, but it's also the experience where I confirmed that I did not want to be a pro. So I was out there and I was like, man, it's kind of lonely. Like you're at this tournament and it's everyone from themselves, right? You're not on a team and no one cares. Everyone's trying to beat you, right? You're just another person there. And I was like, man, that's a weird feeling. Like this, this is the biggest tournament, especially for an American. And I'm in it and I'm 17. I'm a junior in high school. And I was like, this isn't like blowing me over. If this is the pinnacle, if I've got to fly all over the world to these small little tournaments just to get here and this is the the Mecca, I kind of knew. I was like, yeah, you know what? This isn't for me as a player. Um, but yeah, so it was, it, was a, it was a cool experience. I got to play in a big court, a night match. I show up in the locker room my first day and I get a locker from the locker room attendant. And within 10 minutes, Sampras, Pete Sampras, who... I mean, used to be that that generation's Federer, right? He gets the three lockers right next to me. The top, <laughs> the top, you the didn't, middle. You didn't get three lockers? <laughs> I got the bottom locker, but he got the top, middle, and bottom. So he comes, I'm sitting with my coach on this little bench, and we're facing the locker, and he comes and sits next to me. And I am instantly, completely frozen. Like, could not be more nervous. And we're sitting there and like, I'm kind of looking at my coach. I'm like, all right, like, do I act natural? Kind of like the Ricky Bobby, like, what am I doing with my hands? What's going on here? And at one point I I'm not looking at him, but I hear him kind of go like, Hey, what's up? And I look over and he's looking right at me. We're like two feet away. So I go, Oh, like, Hey, what's going on? And he, he's looking at me, but he, he goes, no, I'm talking to him. And he kind of, leaned forward six inches and pointed to the guy who was to my left about two feet. You were a ghost to him. Yes. And I was like, oh, and that was all like, he knows I'm a young American, right? And he just, then they just proceeded to talk right through me while I sat there. (laughs) And then I, of course, I'm like, do I get up? Do I leave? Do I sit here and act like that wasn't like the most embarrassing thing ever? So I just sat there and (laughs) they talked for like five minutes. They eventually left and I looked at my coach and I was like, what the hell, you know, what just happened? But that was kind of like my welcome to the pros moment where I was like, yeah, he doesn't care. I'm just a guy in the tournament and, you know, good for him. He didn't have to, but that was, I mean, I'll never forget that feeling. I'm embarrassed just saying it out loud right now. <laughs> well, it's, it's awesome that you share the story because that's phenomenal. I, I, just to be 
I mean, and I could totally see how that plus, you know, the lack of team environment. I mean, all those variables come into play and you're like, oh, this is just this is not what I want my next 15 years of my life to be. Well, you know, and that's the thing, too. I mean, when I say I think I could have done it as a pro, I think I could have done it as a doubles player. But the the missing piece of that, which I guess we never think about when we're watching the NBA or NFL or whatever it is, is that like they're people, too. Right. And so, you know, it takes a special person to fly around the world 26 weeks a year and, you know, be away from home and be on the road and, and not like you have what your coach and maybe a doubles partner or a couple friends. But at the end of the day, you're all fighting for the same thing. And it takes a special person to, to do that and do that for 10 to 15 years. And, you know, I, that's the part of it that I really would have struggled with. And that's, I'm glad I realized that at that tournament, I was like, yeah, you know what, Uh, this doesn't make me want to play more pro. It makes me want to stop. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I, I've also been told that there's a story about your urine sample at the U.S. Open. Care to oh, share? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm so curious. Who told you about that one? So don't know what the condition is called, but you know it's a little nerve-wracking when someone's just got their eyeballs right on you watching you pee. So <laughs> after, I think it was the first... I think it was the first year I played and the match ended and they're like, all right, you got to go do like a steroid test. You got randomly selected the loser of this match. And I'm like, well, cool. I'm like, I'm so nervous. Yeah, let's go now. Like I got to pee. And I mean, the guy was right up on me and I went in there. I was like, oh yeah, this is not going to happen. <laughs> so, you, so, you, so you got total stage fright. To, you know, co- n- n- yeah, as much as you could have. And so this guy, wh- whoever he was, he couldn't leave me, right? Like, cause then I could go leave and somehow cheat the system. So like the guy came and I, I'm pretty sure he like sat at a table next to us at dinner and like, he just waited me out. I swear to God, it was probably like three hours. Oh my and, God. Yeah. And then I think I, I like, thought you were going to say about like three or four minutes. Three no, hours. no, no, no. Like we were in there and I was like grinding and like the, obviously the harder you try, like it's not going to happen. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. And then of course your anxiety is like through the roof. So yeah, I think the guy like had dinner with us that night. Like he was like just around us and then. I'm like, you know, drinking as much as I can at a certain point I'm going to pop and I dribbled out like a couple drops and the guy was probably like, look, I can look at you. You're, you're not on steroids. You're 17, you're scrawny and whatever. But yeah, that was like a brutal, that was a brutal process. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a a 30 minute sitcom right there. You could, you have, you have the start of an actual sitcom. I mean, I'm envisioning this guy just sitting right next to you, cozying right up next to you, you know, sawing through his steak, his ribeye drinking a bunch of water, looking at you just like, dude, when are you going to do this, man? Come on. Yeah, we, we, we were just- like, we I want to know if you paid, did you pay for his meal? Uh, I don't think so. I, I do remember though, we were out. So like, I didn't even eat in the, like in the player's lounge. Like I went out with my family and I, we were just getting like a burger in the open courtyard. So like I'm sitting there and like I'm some player and then there's this dude in a, you know, whatever, a USDA polo at the table next to us, just eyeballing me. And he's kind of laughing because he knows what's going on. But yeah, that was, uh, that was wild. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Well, <laughs> um, gosh, wow, that's amazing. So, all right, so let's transition. So you 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 had a, you had a successful junior career, played in the U.S. Open, kind of realized, hey, this is you know loving tennis, but it's not my long term goal to be a player. Mm-hmm. Sophomore year, wanted to be a coach, and so walk us through kind of your coaching journey because I'd love to get into a lot of your philosophy with coaching because I think it's really applicable beyond just tennis. Yeah. So coaching journey, uh, when I graduated, I went back to the academy that I started at when I was a junior in high school. So my junior year, my dad moved up to Princeton 
and I wasn't going to go to the Northeast to play tennis indoors. So I actually went to Hilton Head at Vandermeer um, and then went to this other place in uh, Sea Pines in Hilton Head called Smithsterns Tennis Academy. So when I graduated, I went and did two years there. I wanted to be a college coach, uh, but I also was like, okay, I'm graduating and I'm 22 years old. Am I going to go somewhere as an assistant and tell another 21-year-old what to do when I've had zero coaching experience? And I was like, that's not, I don't even see how that's possible. So I went to an academy for two years, tried to learn as much as I can about technique and, you know, how to be a better coach. After two years, I went to Wake Forest and coached the Lady Deacons from 2008 to 2010. Uh, And that was my first experience of college coaching. And that was still weird. I mean, I was 24. A couple of the seniors on the team were 22. They knew I hadn't been coaching that long. Um, So that's always a challenge in that, that regard. And then the position at Duke opened up. And I took that in 2010 and I was there for a decade and love that. I mean, when you're coaching at your alma mater, there's a different type of pride and ownership and effort level that you put in there. Uh, and then recently, uh, when COVID ended that season, you know, I've been in Charleston for the last year and a half coaching juniors again and realized that's a little bit more of a passion, at least at the moment, because, you know, the younger they are, they call it like wet clay versus dry clay. Uh, no pun intended with you, but it's like the younger they are, the more you can mold them. You know, when you get a a 19 to 20 year old guy, you can fine tune some things. But when you get a 13 year old who's really motivated, you can really see a lot more of your influence in their game. Uh, And so that's where I am now. Excellent. Yeah. So you've had such an interesting journey and I love that you were able to get back to your alma mater. I'm very glad you went to your back to your alma mater because that's how we met. And got to you know have a lot of fun together over the last decade and, and continue to a lot of golf and had some opportunities to to play basketball at Cameron Indoor Stadium and um, you know a lot of a lot of fun things and yes I did wear I did pull my M- MJ and uh, wore my Carolina shorts under my uh, nondescript <laughs> shorts when I was at coach on Coach K's court I just so, know um, <laughs> had to pull the MJ man I couldn't I couldn't yeah. go out there as a Tar Heel and not and not represent uh, even though I wasn't allowed to. Uh, you know, outside the, you know, out in the open there, but um, yeah. So very grateful from my perspective that, that you, you were there and um, you know, I think it's really interesting. So you, you know, you, you made this transition to go from coaching 19 and 20 year olds now coaching juniors and you've had some interesting decisions that you've had to make along that journey um, and, and making changes that I know that you put a lot of thought into and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that struggle with, you know, do I make a change? You know, I've, I'm super invested. I really love what I'm doing, but it's, there's something prickling in the back of my mind. That's just not, it's telling me, I, I, I think there's more out there for me and what I want to do. So walk us through like, what, 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 like, why, why did you make the decision to move outside of just, Hey, I want to make an impact on, on these young junior players. Like, I feel like that there was something a little bit more that you wanted. Yeah. So are you, are you asking what that was or how do I, how do I make those? I guess how, I guess, how did you walk through the, like, how did you make that decision? Because I know it was hard, um, but walk us through the decision process. So the only part that was hard about it was I was worried that leaving college, I wouldn't be able to get back in or get back in the same level because Duke's an amazing place to be at. So if I left college, oh, I want to try something different. Oh, you know what? I think I want to get back in college. Would that be a devastating blow where now I'm 
at a much lower D1 or I can't get back in and I'm going to have to build my way back up. So there's a little bit of fear for that. Uh, but as my wife can attest, I mean, with decision making, I'm kind of like, oh, you, uh, I'm not happy. Oh, I'm thinking about that idea. That, that seems like something that would make me happy. Guess what? I'll try it. And if, it, if I don't like it, uh, then I'll try something else. It's really not that big of a deal if I'm wrong, especially in this instance, because it's like choosing between two good options. You know, oh, I'm an assistant coach at Duke. This is an amazing, I mean, this is almost my complete dream job, right? I mean, I'd love to be the head coach there, but coaching at your alma mater, amazing. Or I can go live in Charleston, a beautiful city, coach tennis in a beautiful place with motivated junior players. So if I make the wrong choice, the quote unquote wrong choice, is there really a bad option? It, it didn't stress me out. And so I just kind of go with my gut. What do I want to do? I want to try this right now. And I don't ask myself too deep a question. Well, why, why do I feel that way? I don't really go that deep because I feel like I'll get confused. I just, hey, this is what I want to try. And so let's do it. And in this instance, it's been the right decision. Well, the simplicity is awesome. You talk about the, hey, am I going to be happy? And it seemed like in either scenario that it seemed like you could find happiness, but trying something new and going after in coaching players that, that you can go mold, because I, I know the way, you know, I like to think I know the way your mind works and I know that you know that you can have a bigger impact on, on players when they're a little bit younger, you can mold them to your point. And so it's been what, about two years now. So how's it going? It's going great. Uh, you know, I got about five to six kids that I coach like pretty intensively, lots of private lessons. I see them in the group all the time, uh, video their matches, all that type of stuff. And then there's probably about 20 more kids that I see in a group setting that I kind of throw them little nuggets here or there. I have a relationship with it, with them, although maybe not as close as some others. Um, but that variety is also great. I, I like coaching a 15-year-old girl and an 18-year-old boy and a high-level 12-year-old and a high school state, you know, 16-year-old, you know, you get all this variety and these different levels and people on different journeys. Are they, are they there to have fun, which is great? Or are they there to try to be a D1 player or a pro? Both of those answers are fine. I'll coach those people completely differently. And it's a blast with both and it keeps it fresh. You know, it's not, you know, that was the one thing I could compare to Duke, which is, you know, I've got 10 really high level male 19 to 20 one year old players that aren't going to go pro. You know, they're there for the D1 uh, highly competitive uh, collegiate experience. And so it's relatively similar in how you deal with all of them. But my day to day basis, you know, what I do here is just it's different. You know, tomorrow morning I've got a 13 year old who's just getting going in the game. And then I have a 17-year-old girl right after him who's a national champion. And they're completely different and they're working on completely different things. And I find that really interesting and it's fun and you know, it's been going great. Oh, that's great to hear. And I know you like a little bit of a challenge too and you like the variety. So I just love that other than the fact that you moved away from us, you know, I'll set that aside, but you, you found a really a really cool niche and you're kicking butt from, from what I can tell. And from what you just described, I mean, it seems like you're kicking absolute butt down there and, you know, those kids are, 
honestly lucky to have you. So um, you should be proud of the decision you made, man. Like I'm, I'm really proud of you. And I think that, you know, you've, you've found a, I think you've found kind of what you want, at least right now in the phase of life that you're in now. And um, you know, I can tell that you're, you're really happy. And, you know, so you, you went for happiness and it, and it really seems like you found it. So I'm really pumped for you. I appreciate that. That's, that's really, really good. So, all right. I want to get into something around coaching because I think your philosophy around coaching is um, a lot around deliberate practice. And I think that you have probably multiple philosophies within that and outside of that, but how would you describe your coaching philosophy or deliberate practice? Because I really think that this is applicable beyond just tennis and, you know, it can apply to someone's career inside and outside of sports. So um, how would you describe deliberate practice? So deliberate practice for me, you know, my Bible is peak by uh, Anders Ericsson. I, I think it's how you say his first name, Anders, but um, I read that book a couple of years ago and I, I left and I was like, this is awesome. Like I can get good at anything I want to improve at uh, if I practice in a certain way. And, you know, I'll forget some of the, some of the elements of deliberate practice, but you know, you have to have 100% focus on what you're doing. You know, you can't show up and just hit balls or, you know, just swing in the racket and have your mind on your schoolwork or whatever. You've got to be a hundred percent into your activity, into the part of the stroke that you're working on or the part of the tactic that you're working on. Um, these practices have to be measurable. You know, I, I really don't like giving opinions. Oh, I think your forehand has gotten better. I want to show a kid through a video. Hey, your stroke looks different. I want to show them through statistics. Hey, you're making more serves. You're winning more of these types of points. Uh, and that's a big part of deliberate practice, right? Can you measure it so that you know if you're improving as opposed to just a simple eye test? I mean, you know, as cocky as I can get, I, I don't ever really want to give an opinion as a coach. I want to give facts. There are certain ways to hit the ball, like biomechanically proven. You need to swing in a certain way to get topspin on the ball. That's not an opinion from me or from anyone else. That's just a fact. And coming to the net is better than staying at the baseline. That is just an objective fact. Every single player does better when they come to the net in tennis. Now, there are nuances to that that you have to kind of sift through. But as a coach, I don't really want to give my opinion too much. I just want to give facts and measure the progress. And if that player is not improving, it's not because the fact is wrong. It's because I'm not using the correct words or doing it in the correct order. And then I will try to change how I deliver that message. But I'm very much into the fact business and not into the opinion business of coaching. Very interesting. And so how, how do you go about that? Because you, you obviously coach, a, we just went through, you coach a variety of players, 13-year-olds that are just getting started, 17-year-olds that are national champions and everywhere in between. Are you leveraging this philosophy with all the kids you're coaching? No, because whether they'll, some, some will admit it to me or not, a lot of them, their goal is not to improve at an insane level. Some of the, some of the goals of the kids are, I'm here to have a really good time and hopefully get better. So the emphasis is on, I want to have a really fun two hours. And that is perfectly fine. Some kids, the ones that go, hey, I'm looking to play, you know, one girl wants to play at a top five D1 school. And I go, cool, guess what? This is how you're going to have to practice now. 
you want an exceptional result, you're going to have to have exceptional daily routines and practices. And the only way you can do that is by practicing deliberately. And bad news for you, deliberate practices kind of suck and they're not fun, but they get you something you want. So there are times where I've had to have deep conversations with kids and go, hey, are you here to have fun or get better? And what, where are you on that scale? I'm sure you want a little bit of both, but be honest with yourself. Are you leaning towards, hey, I'm just kind of here to, to have fun? A lot of them feel like that's a bad thing. I don't view it that way. Um, and maybe they think that I'll see that a certain way. But um, so, no, I don't, I don't run those types of practices with every kid because at the end of the day, as a, as a junior tennis coach, you still are a little bit in the service industry. And so you need to give each player what they want. Um, and it's different for every kid. Yeah, I think that's really smart how you go have those conversations early so you can really understand what they want and and apply your coaching method accordingly. So now I'm starting to think, okay, you got 13, 14, 15-year-olds. Parents have to be involved in some form or fashion. And I can imagine that there's got to be parents out there that, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble, but mm -hmm. there's got to be parents out there that think that they want one thing for the kid. And the kid comes out there and says, look, I'm just here because my parents say I'm, I'm supposed to be here. So let's make this fun when the parents thinking that they're going to come out and, you know, play in the U.S. Open in a couple of years. Have you dealt with that before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. And yeah, hopefully none of them are listening to this. Um, <laughs> but but I don't again, I don't I don't care what people think. I don't I don't want to say it in a mean way, but. I have no problem telling a parent, hey, I know you're, you're intense about this, but they're not. And if that means that I don't get to teach that kid anymore, then that's great. That's not the type of, I, I wouldn't have done well with that kid in that system. And most of the parents I coach now are phenomenal in, in the sense that they don't even really talk to me much about the player's game. The player comes home, they're happy. And at the end of the day, like results are going to speak. So if the kid's not getting better, I'll reach out to the parent and go, hey, your kid is actually working really hard and I haven't seen the results. And this is what I'm going to try to do differently because they're actually putting in the, in the work and it's taken a little longer than I thought, but just how I am with everything, I'm pretty direct. So when a parent asks me a question, Hey, don't you think my, my kid, you know, can be a pro? I'm like, no, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll probably be wrong. But I mean, if I'm playing the odds, no, there's like a less than a half a percent chance, probably even lower than that. So, right. Could your, I have no idea how good your kid can be. I'm not putting a ceiling. Like I have no idea. I'm not telling you they can't. But if you're banking on that, you are, you're gambling with the wrong percentage and you just need to be aware of that. Those, those are just the facts. Most people don't become a top 100 pro. So I think parents respect it. I think there's a lot of, a lot of coaches, especially in the junior tennis world, that you almost feel like you have to... Uh, I don't know, go along with whatever they're saying and, and make sure you're keeping everybody happy. But in my way of keeping everyone happy is make sure the kid is having fun and make sure they're improving. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why they're, they're coming to you. So if their kid is having those two experiences, then the parent will absolutely be happy with the job I'm doing. Yeah. I feel like that the, I'm not in youth sports, not, especially not nearly as much as, as you are. And I don't have kids that are old enough yet to be in youth sports, but the feeling that I get is that one parents, there's a ton of involvement there, but I think that there's, there's also this act of selling from the coaches or from the institutions that are providing the you know coaching or, you know, camps or 
anything that, hey, we're going to turn your kid into the next Pete Sampras or the next, you know, Andre Agassi, whatever. And really, that's not helpful for our society, for the kids. I mean, you know, if, if I'm thinking about my profession in the tech world, if I went around and said, hey, I'm going to turn you into the next CEO of, of IBM or the next CEO of Google, I mean, there's only a couple people that can get into that position, right? And mm-hmm. But if you're selling that as, as your thing, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I, my gut t- tells me that that's what's happening in the sports world too. Do you feel that at all? Yeah, there's a, yeah, of course it's a business. So people are selling themselves and these dreams and these ideas. I see that in tennis all the time. Um, so what do you, you feel know, like you're selling? Uh, ooh, that's a good, that's a good question. What am I selling? I'm selling, Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of go back to what I just told you. Number one, I feel like when a kid walks off the court with me, they've had a really good time. Like I want to be, even though it's deliberate, you know, I try to have deliberate practice, especially with my motivated kids. I need to laugh. I, it's not like I want to be so serious all day. So I'm hoping they're enjoying themselves. Um, you know, crack a few jokes. Hey, they're getting a fun hour. And then I'm selling just improvement, which is all I really want to do anyway. I want that kid to get better. I like the idea. I see a kid and they come in and their volley grip stinks and they're doing almost everything wrong. And I go, oh my God. I wonder if I can get this kid better at this aspect of their volley in the next 20 minutes. And hmm. I, it's like this little, it's like a puzzle for me, right? So I am selling them improvement. And I like holding my, I like a report card. I like when my kids go play tournaments because I want to know if they got better. And if they didn't, I'm like, hey, that's my fault. Because your kid, if the kid worked hard, hey, your kid's doing everything right. And I, you, you're paying me to get them better. And it's been two months. And I thought they, I thought I'd have a little more improvement. So this is what I'm going to do. But I'm selling them honesty, transparency. I feel like expertise, my time, and then at the end of the day, too, they're trusting me with their child. And you know what? I want their kid to have a good time. Man, that's that's really good. I think that may need to go into the Stokey Tennis Instagram account there, talking about what you're bringing to the table there, because it it comes across. I mean, it comes across in your daily life. I mean, I I introduced you as a very you know, fun, uh, engaging, but very pragmatic and, uh, and competitive person. And I think that, you know, uh, I think any kid, like I said, I think any kid is, is very lucky to have you as, as their coach. And, um, and I, I would love for you to, to walk us through, well, first, so we talk about deliberate practice. So we've been talking about tennis a lot, but I know mm-hmm. that you have a lot of passions for sports and you yep. love playing golf as your other, yep. you know, other thing. So are you applying deliberate practice to golf at all? Because I've played golf with you before many times (laughs) and it seems like deliberate practice would help me, but I also think it would help you. So I'm curious if you've, if you've done anything. There's no question, but so, so no, I do not apply deliberate practice to my golf game, but here's, here's the difference though. And this is, this is, I use this with my kids as an example. So I, last time we went on our golf trip at Pinehurst, I mean, I couldn't, every three to four months, I lose you my were, swing. Dude, you were trash. You were, I was horrible. I was horrible. And, I, and I'm normally, you know, somewhere between, and, and at this point, probably between a two and a six handicap. And you look but, like it was the first time you had played golf in 10 years. Exactly. And that happens to me every, I'd say, it happens three times a year where I kind of lose my swing. I go down weird, dark rabbit holes. 
I end up finding it a week and a half later, and then I have it for two months, three months, and then I lose it again, and it's a miserable experience, but it, it happens. But at the end of the day, I don't practice often. When I practice, I just go bang balls like anyone else does at the range. But you know what? Is I really don't care how good I am. So then it makes sense, right? Like I want to be good. I want to be good enough to talk trash, but I don't want to be so good that I'm willing to practice deliberately. So when I play horribly, I just don't complain. And that seems to make complete logical sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is if I came out and hit the ball terribly on our golf trip and complained the whole time is if I didn't understand why. The answer is I, I haven't been practicing efficiently or often. So why would I expect to be good at anything? So it's, I'm out there. It's very fun. stoic of you. Just very not, stoic. You're just so emotional equilibrium across the board. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm there with you guys to have fun. Which in that particular instance, I hit it so poorly it was almost impossible. But if I had hit it five percent better and played some of the worst golf of my life, I still come back from that trip and go, that was a blast. And if I had shot 72s every day, it would have been the exact same level of fun for me. So, no, I don't use that. But what confuses me as a coach is when I watch, you know, tennis players are insane. So every time they miss a shot, throwing the racket, screaming. But then I go, well, you care enough to get that upset. Why aren't you more focused and engaged on your own? Like there's, there's something you're not aligned with your actions. Whereas with my golf game, I'm very aligned. I'm here for a good time. <laughs> when I go to practice, I'm at practice for a good time. I don't want to like grind and, and get all serious with it. But yes, I should use more of that before our trip to Bandon next next spring. <laughs> See, it seems like it, and so should I. Maybe occasionally uh, we yeah. need to learn to hit those low balls because apparently it's windy out there. But uh, but man, that's awesome. I I love I love your attitude, and that is for those that don't know Stokey, that is Stokey's attitude towards life. Like <laughs> it's just very just very flat. And but finds joy, absolutely finds joy in many things in life, but never gets too down ever, right? I mean, permanent vacation is what you're on. And even though you're working mostly every day and uh, you're putting in the work, putting in the grind, and I just think it's awesome. Your mentality is something that I, if more people had, we'd be in a, in a really good spot in the world here. But um, so kudos to you for developing that and maintaining that and I would have to imagine it rubs off. I know it rubs off on me, um, and I'm certain it has to rub off on you know the players that you work with, the other you know the parents and others that that you interact with on a daily basis. And you know if people can get that incremental gain of one percent better or a little bit better with their emotions and kind of lock in and um, you know apply the the practice and the techniques and the things that that you teach them, you know they're they're certainly going to improve. So it's been a lot of fun to follow. And speaking of following. Your Stokey Tennis Instagram is unbelievable. It's, you know, you've gone from zero to 27,000 followers in how long? Uh, I think I started in middle of December of last year. So it's probably like 11. Yeah, right now it's almost 11 months. 11 months. So I, I, I want to get into that, but I want to uh -huh. back up a lot. So we've, we kind of know a lot about you now. We've, you know, heard about your stage fright from peeing. We, we know that you're a, a U.S. Open uh, player. We know that you were a ghost there because of Pete Sampras, your coaching career. Um, I want to back up to like something a little bit deeper. So, you know, when I started Build with Clay, it's all about other people's growth, 
Why do people want to grow? What are they trying to grow in? And obviously you're trying to grow in, in your life around, you know, uh, your friends and, and your career around coaching and, and growing others. I'm curious, how would you define your purpose in life? I want to, I want to hear about that. And I want to hear about how you would define a growth mindset, because I think that's going to really give us a sense of, of the, of who you are and what drives you. So you can start with either, you can start with the growth mindset or your purpose, but I'd love to hear it from you. Who purpose in life. I, I don't I don't have a clear vision of what my purpose in life is. I am and I I don't know that I don't know that I would have one. Like like I've told I mean I've told you this a million times, but I I'm a very happy person. I'm grateful. You know, Jeannie, my wife, I think it's been seven years. A little nervous now that I'm on the spot. Pretty sure it's been seven years. But she, she's <laughs> Sorry, we can, we'll, we'll edit it. It's fine. She's forgotten multiple times. So if I'm wrong, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's seven. Um, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going day to day. I don't feel like I owe the world anything. At the same time, I care about others in the world. I, I wouldn't say in my general life that I have some burning passion or, or goal, I just go, man, how I just feel so blessed every day. I go, man, I found a wife. We get along so well. I love her so much. She's an amazing person. She's the reason why I have any friends because they all like her. And you can attest to that way more than me, way more than me. And I have no problem with that. That's great. You're a nice side effect. You're a nice. I will use her for that. That's perfectly fine. I have no problem. So I've got this great, you know, I got a good family. I grew up in a great place. Um, I'm just a very happy person. And I basically just I don't have many days in my life that go by. I'm a big journey guy. So I go, man, am I enjoying my day today? Yes. Good. Check. Done. I'm happy. It sounds um, like that your purpose in life is to enjoy the journey and enjoy it with some others that are around you. This, see, this is what you're here for. You're giving me the clarity that I need. So maybe that is that is my why, but that that is kind of how I live live my life. And I'm in some ways, I'm looking six inches in front of my face, but also there there is some planning and you know, I'm a planner at heart still, but that is probably how I live life. As far as uh, growth mindset, are you asking me how I would define what a growth mindset is? Yeah. So I, I want to take a diversion. I know I feel like I'm going all over the place right now, but you mentioned yeah, your love lovely it. wife, Jeannie. Yes. And so Jeannie is former LPGA golfer, um, just unreal athlete, unreal person, just phenomenal all around. So we see why you love her so much and we love her too. But I want to. I want you to to reach back to when you played probably your best round of golf of your life. I don't know, probably like four or five years ago, and mm -hmm. you came home to your wife, who has probably oh, shot yeah. <laughs> 65, 64, 63 many, many, many times in her life, and you yep. came back so excited to tell her that you what What did you shoot? Okay, so the whole story is this. So when I I used to shoot before I met my wife, I would shoot low seventies sometimes. Very rarely. And then I could shoot 95 the next day. And most of the time it was more like high 80s, low 90s. But occasionally the athlete in me would come out and I would get better. And when we started dating, I said, can you, can you start removing some of my bad days? That's my goal. I just want to be able to go out and find my ball and I'll be happy. And of course, I made that woman work. I mean, I was on the range just pumping balls, taking divots. Not and, deliberate practice, though. <laughs> no, no. But she was there. And then she would, you know, she's great for me and my coaching because she would tell me something to do. And I go, no, I don't want to do that. And she'd go, 
yeah, cool. You know, because I've played three U.S. Opens and you shoot 90. So you probably know what you're talking about. <laughs> and she's right. I'm doing exactly what my kids would do. You know, they, they telling me they know what to do and they're, you know, a state state level player. So that actually helped me get in the mind of my own players a little better. But she would grind with me for years. And I finally at Duke, I had never shot par. And I shot a 68 and it was majestic. I mean, it was like, it didn't look like an accident. And I called her and I, uh, hey, love, you won't believe it. You know, guess what I shot today? I don't know, 73. I shot a 68. And she's like, cool, did you have more fun? Like, it's about time. You've been playing all these years, right? And I was like, you're right. It doesn't really matter. Like, sure, <laughs> it was cool. The little putt I hit that sometimes lips out, it lipped in. Yeah, awesome. I, I, you know, it's an athletic achievement, but it's really not a big deal. And it was about time because I've played a zillion rounds of golf and I hit a million balls in front of her. And the fact that she was just kind of like, yeah, cool. Like, great. Good for you. It really, it like, totally relaxed me. And ever since then, I don't really pay attention. Like, I know what I shoot, but I don't care. The difference between a 74 and an 80 is what in my life? It's nothing. I want the ball to go in the hole, but I don't, I don't care. Oh, I played with my wife. That was fun. Cool. So she just, I mean, she really brought me back down. I mean, it was kind of like a wet rag on my like amazing athletic achievement, but she was right. In my mind, I was like, oh yeah, cool. Man, and it just goes back to, that's certainly, I think the, the genesis of your mindset now as <laughs> when, when it comes to this. I mean, it's just this, it keep going back to the word stoic because the stoics were all about just you know, kind of emotional equilibrium and not getting too high or too low, still finding joy in life. And that's what you do. I mean, no matter what, it, you, you could go out and shoot 68, you can go out and shoot 95, you could be, you know, in a downpour of rain and, you know, you kind of just accept the thing that you're in and what just happened and, you know, find whatever joy you want to in it and just keep living your life, man. And I think that that's, I'm just always impressed by your mindset and your mentality in anything that you do. And, I guess we can thank Jeannie for bringing that out in you. Yeah, for just pouring that cold bucket of ice water <laughs> on me at my finest golfing moment. But yeah, if, that, if that's why I am the way I am, then I'm very thankful for that. Well, and the man you know, sitting here has three hole-in-ones in golf as well. And I'm sure when you told her about those that she just said, oh, cool, good job. Well, no, by that time, right, those were all after this. So she'd already done her work. So I came home. I was like, you won't believe it. I had a hole-in-one. But my mindset was, by the way, it's probably the luckiest athletic. Do you think I was aiming for the hole? So I hit a ball and it rolled on the green. And of course, I didn't read the green. And it went in. And I go, wow, that's awesome. I have one. Also, that athletic achievement is 99.9% .9 luck. So in a weird way, like I'm like, yes, it's a very cool thing that I can say. But I also go, yeah, I mean, like I know 87-year-old, you know, beginners who have hit a hole in one too it's a it's a lucky achievement so yeah she kind of somehow she she ruined those for me too <laughs> <laughs> well i i and i i did hear a story about a woman who had was a member at augusta and she played her first round of golf at augusta ever ever she went out and on number 12 first time ever playing golf hit a hole in one on augusta there you go and i'm sitting there thinking you know how many, I mean, one to be able to just play that course. And then she gets a hole in one the first time she's ever played. And she's probably sitting there thinking like, this game's not that hard. 
Yeah, exactly. what's everyone talking about, right? And you would have gone out there and been, oh, that was cool. It was a cool experience. <laughs> I mean, all three of mine, the cool thing was all three of mine happened in the triangle. Uh, one of them was very recent and they were with my dad and he was going nuts. And, and I was not because in a weird way, I'm almost embarrassed. I'm like, I didn't earn that. Like if I, <laughs> if I went up there and told you I'm trying to make this in the hole, then I would feel like. Like if proud. you called your shot like, yeah. and then you hit it yeah. in. Yeah, and if but, I didn't call my shot, but also shot, you can't just call your shot every par three you walk up to. Exactly. So, yeah, like it's this is like really amazing thing, but it's almost like, oh, cool, that happened. Not like I did it because, as we said, there's so so much luck involved in that. But yeah, my dad went nuts all three times, and of course, I'm just like walking up, like, okay, like we'll pick this up out of the hole and we'll go on, and I'll tell my wife, and she'll kind of raise an eyebrow, and I'll tell you guys, and you'll be more excited than me, and then uh, and then we'll all move on with our life. Oh, I love it. The mentality is fantastic. All right. Well, we took that side door. I had to, I had to get that story out of you because I thought it was phenomenal that you went out and shot a 68 and got basically no love from your wife because, you know, Hey, why would it be impressive to her? Um, exactly. You know, she's, yeah. she's a baller. So, yeah. all right, back to growth mindset. Growth mindset can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And yep. we can have a lot of different conversations about this, but I would love to start with how would you define what a growth mindset is? So this is not something I think about. I, I'm not, you've asked me questions right now and I go, man, I should probably like sit down and write these things because it'd probably help me be a better coach and a better person. But I guess if I was going to describe a growth mindset, I would say it's, if someone has a growth mindset, they like challenges, like someone who wants to be challenged. So if I'm coaching a kid and I want them to swing a certain way that they currently don't. I want them to take their racket back high and they take it back low already. That's an incredibly difficult thing to try to do and make a ball at the same time. They are going to fail at that for multiple months. Like that is just the reality. Some kids who I think have a growth mindset are like, oh, sick. That's how you're supposed to hit the ball. I want to try that. And some people will try a swing, fail. I don't like that. I don't like the way that felt and I don't like that it sucked. And that challenge either scares them or they think they can't do it. And I see it more as someone who embraces the challenge. That is how I would, that is how I would describe growth mindset. For someone who hasn't thought a lot about growth mindset, that's a fantastic definition in my opinion. That is someone who embraces a challenge and views failures as an opportunity for learning and an opportunity for growth. And that's basically what you described. And so I'm curious because I can tell that I'm sure you deal with both a growth mindset and then a fixed mindset, which is the complete opposite, which says, hey, I just failed at this and I don't want to try anymore because I don't like failing. Failing is bad. Mistakes are bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a kid that has done that in the past and you said, hey, take it high and they, they try, they fail, they try, they fail, and then they basically quit on the on, on trying it anymore. How do you go about that? Okay, so I, I might get lost. So remind me to remind me to talk to you about the good error bridge. Okay. okay. But when a kid doesn't want to push through it, I just try, and again, this is a flaw of mine as a coach is that I sometimes assume that people see the world exactly the way I do, which is I feel like I'm an outlier, outlier in a lot of weird ways, but hey, guess what? Okay, that's fine. We don't have to do this but here is where I see this path going. 
you want to play division one, but you don't want to work on keeping your palm down on your serve. And if you're going to work on that, you're going to take 10 steps back, but then it's going to be for 100 steps forward. If you're too scared to take those 10 steps back, that's fine. But now your long-term goal is in jeopardy. I just want you to know that if you're okay with that, I'm still, I'll, I'll coach you however you want. I, I can't make you do anything. So if you don't want to work on this, that's fine. I will try to find other ways, but I'm letting you know up front my concern with this path. And then I let them make the choice. It's their tennis game. I'm not going to make them do anything they want to, don't want to do. Um, okay, I actually did remember the good error bridge. This is a corny little analogy, but I like it. I tell them where you are now and where you want to be. You've got to build a bridge to get there. And that bridge is made up of bricks and they're good errors. They're not winners. They're not perfect strokes. Hey, you took a swing and it wasn't correct. But the error you made was you tried to do the right thing. You took your racket back high, but that was different for you. And you failed on the swing of the technique. Um, this is a, the good error bridge. I, I got it. I think it was Craig O'Shaughnessy. He's a really good uh, tennis analytics guy, but he mentioned that. I was like, God, that makes so much sense. Like I'm going to have to make a thousand good errors and then I'm going to start making good swings and then I'm going to get to where I want to go. And so I, I make that analogy with the kids a lot. You can't build the bridge on bad errors. The bad error is the error where you have no focus and you're not trying to improve anything. You're just making the same mistake over and over and over. That's a bad error. You don't go anywhere with that. Um, some kids have responded to that. And that's cool. And then some haven't. And I got to go down more rabbit holes and into their psych psychology. But um, that's kind of how I deal with that with the kids is letting them know every time they make a good error, I let them know that's awesome. You just got better. You missed that shot, but you're better now than you were. And if they make a bad error, I let them know, hey, guess what? You missed a shot and you're no better than you were three seconds ago. But guess what? We can make a good error on the next point or a good swing. So I try to let them know and give them that instant feedback all the time. Man, I really like that good air bridge. Uh, consider that stolen from wherever you stole it from. Yep. Because that is, it, it paints this perfect picture in, in your mind and it puts a positivity towards errors. And I think that's what a growth mindset's all about is even though you're making mistakes or you're, you feel like you're failing, you're failing forward. You're, you're, you're being productive in your failures. And so building a bridge to where you want to be is a productive means of failing. So I really, really like that depiction. So thank you for sharing that. I, I'm certainly going to steal that because I, I really, really like that. Of course. And I mean, the, again, I, I've, you've called me practical probably a million, you know, however many times since I've known you. But I mean, there's also the side of me where it's like, did you really think, you know, if Jeannie's going to teach me something in my golf swing, do I really think that I'm going to practice this? And in the process, while I'm trying to get better at something, flush every golf ball with a five-yard draw at my target? <laughs> like, is that really what I'm expecting? Hey, someone comes to me and their serve is all jacked up with the wrong grip. Are they really thinking that they're not going to make 10,000 horrible swings before they get this? I think that's important for people to understand is like, you got to go in and go, oh yeah, that's the process. And guess what? That's why people sometimes don't improve because they don't like that discomfort and you know failing forward as you said but that's such a necessary part of the process so i think you just have to be upfront and, and honest with yourself that's how it's going to go and i feel like that almost helps you cope with it a little better yeah uh, it, it certainly does so 
I'm now curious, Jonathan Stokey, as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, you're just getting realizing, hey, this tennis thing's pretty cool. I really like this. Do you feel like you had a growth mindset? Uh, yeah. I mean, could it have been better? Of course, if you look, I mean, I wish I could have a 37 year old growth mindset when I was 12, but you know, I, so I started, like I told you, I gripped my racket like a baseball bat. So I had my right hand on top, my left hand on bottom for my forehand. And then I switched my hands, had my left hand on top, right hand on bottom for a backhand. So what I actually had was two backhands and I got up to, I don't know, in two years, I was probably top 30, top 20 in the Southern section with two hands. And then my coach was like, Hey, guess what? You know what? If you want to get good when you're older, you can't really switch your hands like that when someone's serving 130 miles an hour at you. So you're going to have to have a one hand forehand. So you have to slide your right hand down and let go of it. And I was like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. And my forehand honestly was way behind my backhand for probably honestly, probably my whole junior career until I got to college. It took a long time for it to catch up, but I was willing to make that. I mean, I was already having some success, but I was willing to move on from that. So I'd say in some regard, yeah, I had a good growth mindset for a 12 year old. And this wasn't, okay. you know, this wasn't around back then. Right. So people weren't maybe stressing it as much, but yeah, I thought it was a, a decent growth mindset, but of course I always think I could do something better. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I'm starting to think about how you act with your, the, the students or juniors. Do you call them juniors? I mean, how, or students? What do you call them? Uh, that's a good question. Players? Yeah, I call, I call them like my players. <laughs> okay. So Stokey's players. So you're, yeah. you're, you're working with, you're working with your players. And one of the first things that you do in, is, is you ask, why are they there? Like, what is their why? Right. I asked you about your why, and that was more broad. Like, what is your purpose? What is your why in life? But in your profession, you're jump starting the conversation by understanding truly why are they there? Because everything points back to that. Their attitude, yes. the way that they approach things always points back to their why and their purpose for standing on that court with you. And yeah. I think that's a really, really impactful thing that you do and really smart because you can tie back no matter you can tie back their lack of motivation or their increase in work ethic or their, their, their mindset towards things all back to that why. And you can rationalize it in your brain and then probably properly motivate them or encourage them based on, you know, based on their why. And so I think that's a really smart thing you do. And then you, it seems like you coach with a growth mindset. Like you're, you're, you know, talking about the good air bridge and you're, and you're trying to work with them to encourage them that just because you're failing, that's like, that's good. Like that's supposed to happen. That is supposed to happen when you grow or when you change something. And if, if your why is to become a better forehand player, right. Or a better net player. And you're probably going to hit this valley of, you're going to go through this valley of I'm getting worse than I was when I stepped on this court, but it's so that I can take to your point earlier, those 10 steps back. So I can go a hundred steps forward. And I don't know, I, I, I just, there's a lot of symmetry because, you know, my personal belief around growth is you've got to have a growth mindset. If you want to grow in anything that you do, whether it's hitting a forehand, becoming a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, becoming an Olympian, writing your first book, whatever, like you got to have a growth mindset. You have to be able to go through those challenges that you face and you have to have a why. 
like, why are you grinding? Why are you doing this? Why are you spending this time, effort, money, resources to go do this? And it all, you have to have a really strong why to do that. And so I don't know, I just commend you for the way that you've approached your coaching with, with these players, because you're really grounded in those two things. And I think that's a, a huge benefit to the players that you're working with. I appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, like you said, it's really important because I'm trying to give them what they want. And a lot of times along the way too, I think they learn kind of how you clarified like my, my purpose in life succinctly in one sentence when it took me probably four rambling minutes to do it. Sometimes along the way, they kind of understand, oh, you know what? I don't know that I actually want what I said I did. Maybe I want more or maybe they want less. And that that communication still happens. And then our our relationship as a coach and player gets refined. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know how you could function in life efficiently without really knowing where you're going or what you want to do. It, it would feel a little aimless and, and inefficient. Yeah. And I, I know of all of my friends and people in my life, efficiency is, you know, that's, that's where your, your strategy and efficiency is is you all the way. <laughs> I would, and, I would work for free. I would work for free. I would want someone to, I just want to be, actually, I should put this on my answer. I want to be like part-time efficiency consultant. I want to go into your parking lot and ask why, why are these spaces in this direction, this close to this building? And there's always, a, I can't handle it. Or why is the drink machine in the Chipotle right by the door? And so there's going to be congestion. You need me to walk in here and get things more efficient. That is a passion of mine, for sure. Man, Mark it sounds you. like we've just unearthed an absolute gold gem, gold mine here. Um, yeah. And we're going to need to probably spend a whole other podcast talking about you being an efficiency manager, coach, consultant, because this could go a hundred different directions. Yes. And I'll start listing my grievances with lots of inefficiencies at very prominent brand name stores and, and areas. Um, and we can tag them and I would, I will work for free. It's fun. It's like a little puzzle, but why, why would you not want to just do something the easiest, smartest way possible? Why, why would you want to do it less than that? That, that it, it keeps me up sometimes at night. And I, I actually, I swear to God, I would do it for free. I love it. I, I have no doubt that you would. And I think <laughs> there, there's something, there's absolutely something here. And I've heard you say that many times is why would you not do the simplest thing here? And yeah. I think I think we live in a society that experts or you know people that are supposed to know a bunch of things are supposed to do the hard thing because that's just who they're looked at and they're they're because they're really good they're supposed to do the hard thing when the simple thing whether it's a simple message a simple action is usually the most efficient thing to do and I've heard you say it to me many times like if we're playing a sport together it's like well sure yeah you could try to split those trees on the golf course but why. Why would you do that? You have like a 10% chance of that, that actually happening and a 95% chance of hitting it out to the right and just taking your medicine. So why why would you do the hard thing? Yeah. And so you you have ingrained that into my brain that I think about it without you now. And I think that's a good thing. But it. it's, it, it, you know, I'll, or I'll make a mistake. I'll be playing pickleball and I'll try an impossible shot that, you know, I can get 10% of the time. And then afterwards, after I don't hit it, it or make the shot, I think, why did I do that? Stokey would be very mad at me. Why did I do that? Because <laughs> you're, you're an emotional being. I think, every, I think every pro sports team should have a common sense coach 
And that person's credentials are they don't know anything about the sport. So I'm on the, I'm the common sense coach for the Jets. And I go, hey, how about we quit running into the line for negative one yards every first down? Like, I don't know. I don't know how anyone blocks. I don't know what the play is called. I'm just, hey, how about we stop doing something that never works? Is that is that something crazy? You know, or, um, you know, what, one of my friends who's a baseball expert came to one of my tennis matches and he was like, he's like, don't you think your guy should make more shots? And my first reaction was like, that's the, yeah, I mean, of course he should. And then I'm like, actually, yeah, you're right. He should just make more balls. He's, he's so tied up in his strategy that he's missing the second or third ball. Yeah, you're kind of right. I feel like every sport would benefit from one guy just saying something that sounds so completely simple and dumb, but he's also not wrong. (laughs) So it, it makes perfect sense because I can translate it to in the corporate world, the same thing, right? When we have new people come into the organization and, you know, you got 20 people on a call and they've all been in the industry for 10, 20, sometimes 30 years, they're all ingrained in what they're doing. And they're not going to ask the dumb question. They're going to not try to look foolish. I implore every new employee that comes into our organization, please, before you get too ingrained, please ask the dumb question. Please ask the thing that you're like, ask the why questions. Why do we do it this way? Why are we not doing this? Because soon you're going to be in the same boat that we're in, where we're we're completely biased in, in what we do and the, you know, and it's amazing because if you can get someone to ask what they deem as a stupid question, it's amazing that you're like, oh, huh, why do we do that? And it, so I'm right there with you. I think it's applicable across sports and corporate and I'm sure anywhere in between. So um, I'll put you up. We can uh, we can put you up for the, the Jets. I don't know why you'd want to work for the Jets. I know you're a Jets fan, unfortunately, but I think they need a little bit more than a common sense coach. <laughs> you're right i mean that's probably the least of their concerns but i would love to be out there just just going like hey why are we throwing the ball to the other team maybe we should go to our team you know how, how does that sound for a play <laughs> See how it, it sounds just like room. a sarcastic coach just like yes. sarcastic asshole yeah 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 i mean you got you got you to give a little bit of that too like you got to let them know that that there's you know they're being a little stupid but um yeah i think that'd be great Man, I, I love it. All right, so we've taken some side doors. I promise that we want to talk about the Instagram and, and the process. I know you have your process. Um, and so I'd love to hear zero to 27,000. First, for those that have never seen Stokey Tennis, definitely go check it out and um, we'll put it in the show notes. But explain what Stokey Tennis is. Like, where, why did it come to be? What is it now? And then we'd love to hear what you want it to be. Yeah, okay. So. What it was, I, I am on Twitter, and I'm on Twitter to follow sports news. I want that news the second it happens. I have never, actually, I wouldn't say I've never. I've probably tweeted 30 times in my life. I'm sure why they is, were all gems. I'm sure they were most likely, so phenomenal. Yeah, but like, why does anyone want to know what I was doing? Or I mean, I, I just couldn't imagine why anyone would want that. And I had, a, so, I had an Instagram, a personal one, and I posted like a picture from our honeymoon like occasionally i'd post like a golf swing and again i'm thinking to myself who in the hell if if someone wanted to see my social media i texted them that picture already why am i (laughs) i didn't i don't i still to an extent don't get it but 
um, in December when I was kind of coaching uh, two players privately, their father kind of said, hey, you know, as a marketing thing, you probably need to create a coaching page and just let people know that you exist as an entity. And I really did not like that idea, but it, I can't argue with the logic and it made total sense. So I, I created a page, right? And had no strategy, no goal. Uh, it was just like, okay, I'll just... You just started. I just started, exactly. And and then I was like, okay, what what do I need to do? What, I'm, what am I trying to get? I'm trying to get people in the Charleston area to know that I exist. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look up all the tennis clubs in the area, see if they have an Instagram page, and I'm just going to follow anyone who follows those pages. And in my mind, that was just like a little poke, like, hey, I exist. I'm here. You can follow me back or not. I don't really care. But you're going to go, who is this guy who randomly followed me? Oh, he's a tennis coach in the Charleston area. So I just thought that would get my name out more. And some of those people, I mean, this is kind of how it works. Some of them follow you back. I had very little content on my page, but that was kind of like my early mission. Uh, then probably like two or three months into it, you know, I, I ever like a week and a half, two weeks would go by and I hadn't posted. And the girls I was coaching were like, you can't do that. You're supposed to post more often. Like that's how this stuff works. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what the hell would I post? Well, how about you do a video of our lesson or one of the drills we did? So I did some little reel on Instagram and it got a lot of views. And I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. And it you know, took me 15 minutes. And if someone saw that. What's probably, a lot of views? Uh, at that time. So I probably had like 500 followers and I got like 3,500 views. So I was like, oh, wow, that's way more than people who follow me. It got picked up somewhere. That was cool. And if anyone saw it, maybe that little tip helped them. Whatever, I'll do another one. And then it was like, oh, that one got 8,000 views. And then it was 15,000 views. And people who were seeing it were starting to follow me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I've So got you're doing something right. Something's telling you. You're getting direct feedback that you're doing something right. Yeah. And then, of course, I'm getting super cocky. So I'm walking around the house and I'm like, I'm telling Jeannie, hey, I'm a young Christopher Nolan. Like I, 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 I called myself, I was calling you didn't myself. Know, you didn't know what a reel was two weeks ago and now no. you're Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I was calling myself Christopher Nolan Jr. And I was like, Hey, I'm telling stories here. You know, like I'm telling a tennis story, beginning, middle, end, the journey we went on. And she thinks I'm insane, but I, I was like, kind of get into it. I'm like, Hey, this is kind of fun. Hey, here's some progress my kid made. They like it. They like sharing. Hey, guess what? Everybody who can see his page, look how I got better today. They actually like being on there. And I'm getting great feedback from people who have said, man, I, you know, hey, you shared this little tip and hey, that's worked for me. That's really helped. I appreciate it. So in a weird way, it's in a, a way for me to coach people that I've never met and probably never will. Um, so it just kind of grew from there. It started out as, hey, I need people in this area to know that I exist. And now it's just kind of like a, like a passion thing. Like there's no one in the area that's finding me because of my Instagram, but you know, the kids really, really like it. Uh, and I enjoy putting the information out there and 99.9% .9 of that information I learned from someone else. Like, it's not like I created any of this stuff and, you know, the same way, whatever basketball coach who's teaching the shooting form, like they learned it from someone before them, but the more good information that gets out there, I know there's people who really want to get better at tennis and if they stumble across it and they got better than because of me, then amazing. Like that makes me feel great. Well, it's been quite a journey and I've been following it from day one. And I don't even really play tennis because I get my butt kicked every time and I'd rather, I don't know, 
play a sport that I don't get my butt kicked. So that's a fixed mindset for you right there. <laughs> I was going to say, you'd rather get your butt kicked in pickleball? Instead of tennis? <laughs> well, that's why I just don't play you in pickleball. Yeah. I pick, I pick my opponents. You know, I, I try I trend towards like the 65 and up crowd. Yeah, and, there you go. You know, Real try house. to use my, my speed to uh, to make a difference there and, and, and get a W more more occasions than not. But, well – so now, so you're at 27,000 followers, you know, you're working towards a blue check. So shout out to Instagram for you out there. This man's got an excellent Wikipedia page. He's got, <laughs> yeah, he's got 27,000 followers. The man's played in the U S open. He's pissed in a cup there. Took him a bit, but he's been there. So get the man a blue check. Now what, right? You let's, I know we're not, we know you're getting the blue check at some point. The followers are there. They're they're loving you in random countries across the world. Where do you want to take this? They they love me in Istanbul and Sao Paulo. That's what my just the most random places, but (laughs) they love you, man. It's it's hilarious, and I say that as a joke, obviously. But but those actually are the true metrics. Um, But yeah, so where do I want it to go? I mean, you and I have talked about this. I have no idea. I'd like it to. You know, I like sharing this information and sharing anything that I know and, uh, you know, gaining followers is a good thing because it might open some doors for me to either coach people virtually uh, who want more than just the little video I send out about the backhand volley, who might actually want me to help them with a full backhand volley and, and be more engaged in that process. Um, but that is where again, when you kind of start something like this and you don't have a plan and it's like, wow, I never, in my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd have a thousand people who cared to click on my page to see anything I was doing. Like, why would that be anything interesting? So it's new to me. And that's you and I have had discussions, uh, had discussions with my wife, with many other people and trying to figure out what's best. But at the, at the end of the day, what I want it to be is a page that's fun. I try to put good music on it, but also just like this page where you go there and you go, Hey, I know he's going to give me a good, well thought out tip. It might help me. And that is what I'm coming here for. I like being better at tennis. This guy helps me get better at tennis. So I like being part of his online community. That's ultimately what I want. If there turns out to be some type of financial gain or it opens doors for me in my professional career, then that's like an amazing side benefit. But at the moment I this is very new for me, but I don't have an organized plan for that. That's maybe and I, your I think that's job. okay. I think that's yeah. okay because you did the thing that most people don't do. You started. You just put yourself out there and you got started. And a lot of people toil in their brain and think, what should I do? Should I, you know, I got to plan this out. I got to have a three-year plan. I got to, you know, talk to a hundred people before I do this. And you did the complete opposite. You just started and you learned along the way. And I think that points to your growth mindset because you're okay with failure. You're not going to get too emotional or emotional at all. I should probably say about, yeah, robot. about anything that would happen. So you got started and it just, whatever came of it, came of it. And you're having fun with it, obviously. And, you know, arrogant Stokey gets to come out every once in a while and, you know, walk around the house strutting that you're Christopher Nolan and have <laughs> 300,000 views of, of a video that you made. So, I mean, I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool. And it's, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot about a future plan. It's just more to get your thoughts on it, but I think that's okay. You, you just got started, you maintain your consistency and 
probably the best thing that you did is you made it authentic to you. Like there, that, that vibe that you're going for around it being fun, hopefully helpful and, you know, continue to engage. You're doing it all through a lens of authenticity of who you truly are as a person. And as I think as long as you maintain that, it's going to continue to grow and the opportunities are just going to get more and more plentiful. And then it's just going to be, what opportunities do you take? What do you say no to? Because you're going to have, I'm sure you already have a decent amount of people reaching out to you about, you know, potentially advertising on your page or trying to get you to you know, do certain things. And, you know, at some point you're probably going to have to start saying no more than you're saying yes. Yeah. And though, and you know, like I said, those are things that at the moment I'm, you know, not prepared for. And, but again, if I make a bad decision, I do. I think I'm going to make perfect decisions in for just my Instagram page. Am I going to make all the perfect business and career and authenticity decisions moving forward? No, I'm going to make some crummy ones. So I already know that. I'm not going to try to, but when I do, I'm not going to go. I can't believe. I said yes to this opportunity. I should have said no. You're such a moron. Like, of course, I'm going to make a bet. Like, so I, I just don't understand why people think they that you you won't fail. That's the part that just, or you won't make mistakes. That that is the part that rational Stokey does not doesn't compute in my robot brain. What you think you're never going to make a bad decision. So with Instagram, for me, yeah, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I know I'm going to make a mistake. And then guess what? My life will go on. I still have my beautiful wife and beautiful Lulu the Frenchie and good friends and health live in a great place. And it's all good. And I'll learn from Yeah, it. How's Lulu better. doing knowing that you have more followers than her now? You know, uh, this will probably not shock you, but she loves me more than ever because she is my queen. And, you know, she probably, I try to share uh, some of her on my page to help her out and it's working a little bit, but I mean, that, I mean, dogs are the best. Let's just you know, get a little they're, 10 they're second part of your pod. Dogs are the best. You're having a bad day. You come home, that little girl comes and licks you and you go, you know what? It's all good. It's, it is all good. And you probably don't need that many days of your life with the attitude and mindset that you have toward life and the fact that you're constantly on vacation, but you got two people in that household that are constantly on vacation, you and that dog. And yeah. we're on uh, vacation and we never leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> And there's just so much joy and I love it. I think that's so awesome, man. Well, um, so we have a ton of more topics that we can get into, but I have probably kept you way longer away from your Frenchie, away from your lovely wife. So look, I know that you're a huge TV guy. So I got to ask you another hypothetical before we end. So if you could only watch, and and, and again, I want want to hear out loud the wheels spinning, right? I want to hear that robot uh, rationale happening. So you can only watch one TV show for the rest of your life. What are you watching? One TV show. And I have to, I'm watching it on repeat. So it's like, I, you're saying a show that's already out there. Like, Hey, I watch breaking bad and I just, I watch episodes. Yeah. If you're going to turn on a TV show, that is the only one that's going to be on. Interesting. Okay. So this is what I'm thinking. Number one, my favorite type of show or movie in this case, we're going to talk about a show is a show where I watch it and the, the, it ends the episode ends and i have no idea what the hell happened <laughs> that is my goal if you if you show me a teaser for a show and i go what the what is this about is this sci-fi is this real life is that a 
I have no, I, that's what I want. I want to go read about it online on multiple web pages just to solve and figure out what I watched. The problem with that is once I know, I'm, I don't think I'm going to enjoy watching that over and over and over again. So my least favorite type of show to watch now is a comedy. I don't really, I just kind of smile to myself and go, oh, like that's a good line. Like that's about the extent of what, what, how I'll laugh at a show by myself. But I think if I had to keep watching it over and over and over again, I think I'd just like to watch, you know, something like Curb Your Enthusiasm. I love Larry David. And if I just watched that over and over and I watched him bitch about these random day-to-day things, I'd be like, yeah, that still annoys me. I kind of chuckled to myself. <laughs> so I think, I think it would be, I would just watch Curb over and over. Okay. All right. I like it. I, I appreciate you talking it out. That's what the people wanted. So yeah, we got a, got a little insight into Stokey's brain. So, hey, you can find Stokey at Stokey Tennis. Uh, again, it'll be in the show notes. And so, uh, Stokey, man, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. It was a ton of fun. Loved hearing about uh, the, the U.S. Open experiences, the good air bridge. Man, I'm taking that, stealing it. Uh, so consider that that stolen. That is uh, phenomenal. I love the, the way that you're impacting people across the world, but specifically you're impacting people and juniors and players uh, that are really trying to grow, no matter if they're just trying to have fun, trying to trying to get better with their backhand, their forehand, or trying to be a national champion. I mean, you're impacting lives across the board and you've got a great mindset about you and uh, just really, really proud to call you a friend. And um, thank you for spending the time on the pod today. So with that, we're going to, we're going to say goodbye. Stokey, thanks for being here, man. Hey, again, it was a pleasure for me. And you, you are like a life coach version of whatever you're selling me as a tennis coach for. So me and my wife, we have called you about many things to help guide us or think about things. And you are such a giving person. And that's why I'm so pumped that you, number one, you're doing this pod. You've been doing the newsletter, which has been awesome. Um, I'm currently wearing a shirt with your face and the hashtag <laughs> build with play on it. So you can tell that I'm a complete nut job and I'm all in on it. But and I'm pumped you're doing your Instagram page because you have so much great stuff to share and I know how it's impacted me and Jeannie and I'm so glad, you know, I really hope that you stick with it because I think the more people that hear this type of stuff, it won't be their, you know, little tennis game. It'll be how they're viewing their job or their life. And uh, you have so much to give and I appreciate you giving so much to, to me and Jeannie. Y'all have been such a great support. Really, really excited for what's to come with Stokey Tennis and I appreciate all the coaching you've provided around Instagram and other things, right? You, you and some other friends have, have really motivated me to put myself out there and just kind of get started like we talked about. So thanks a ton. I appreciate you spending an hour and a half here with us and sharing some really fun stuff and look forward to doing it again soon. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build with Clay on Instagram at Build with Clay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.